Welcome to the Juggling Without Balls podcast. My name is Monica Parkin and I am your host. And every week on the show, I'm going to be talking to powerful, successful women who juggle it all. And when I say juggle it all, I mean everything. Kids, health, aged parents, careers, relationships, you name it, we're going to talk about it. So stick around, grab a cup of coffee, pull up a seat and enjoy the show. Hello, jugglers, and welcome to another episode. Today on the show, I have Dr. Kim Fisher. Dr. Fisher is a board-certified physician anesthesiologist and the founder of Lucid, an advanced care planning coaching service. She has practiced medicine for over a decade and supported countless families through difficult conversations and decisions, and these experiences have helped her to be of value in engaging end-of-life conversations around health. We're going to talk more about this today, about things that women need to think about should an accident or illness arise that renders them unable to speak for themselves in hospital. Welcome, Kim. It's really a pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, for sure. So I'm just going to jump right in there. We already kind of heard a little bit about what you do. And in many ways, I think being an anesthesiologist goes along with helping people make end of life decisions. But was there a moment, a time, like something that kind of triggered you to want to sort of dive deeper into this area of helping people make those kinds of decisions? Actually, why don't you give me your description of what you do, and then we'll talk into the, the how and the why. Sure. So like you said, I'm a physician anesthesiologist, and also I'm an advanced care planning coach. And so what I do as a coach is I help women, men as well, it tends to be women who come to me first, who are really in the thick of life and busy. I help them get really clear about what they would want to happen if they found themselves in a hospital and they weren't able to speak for themselves and someone else had to make their decisions. And after we get really clear about that, I bring them together with their loved ones, the person who will ultimately need to be speaking for them. And we have a conversation about their wishes so that there's no ambiguity and their loved one is ready to speak for them. Yeah, because, you know, my husband and I just went through this whole process of will the power attorney and part of the power attorney is what do you want to do in this situation, this situation. And so just as I was coming on this podcast, I was telling my daughter, because she's in her third year of biochem, oh, I'm talking to this anesthesiologist, this is what we're talking about. Oh, by the way, this is where my will is, and you're my medical power of attorney. And I just realized in that moment that even though I wrote it all down, we've never actually had a conversation about it. And, And I was like, oh, gosh. So even though it's sitting in my safety deposit box or whatever, she doesn't know what my wishes are. And I assume there's some gray area, right? So even though I've wrote this down, you know, and I had this with her because she can be very, like everything checks a box, fits in a box. She's just very precise and logical with her thought process because maybe because she is kind of a sciencey person. And so I said, okay, so by, by the way, this is my wish, but there's a flexibility, you know, you know, use your own intuition. If they say there's a very little chance I'm going to wake up, that like, give me more than a day, right? Like, give me two weeks to wake up, okay? Or whatever. Like, we just started to have this conversation. So it's something we need to go back and revisit, but it just goes to show you how important it is to to have those conversations. Well, you just dropped a lot of truth bombs right there. (laughs) And I, I think the first one that I heard was that you had done the work to fill out the documents, which is great because it means you're thinking about it. And then you put them in the safe. And that's the part that I will tell you, Monica, everyone does, 
But unfortunately, that is the part that ultimately, if and when your daughter has to make decisions without the conversation, that document isn't enough. And I know that because I have been in the position as a physician working with families who need to now make decisions for their loved ones. And they, yes, maybe they've, they have documents in front of them and the document just does not speak to the situation. And what I find a lot of times is that we can't know so far in advance what treatments we're going to want, right? It's very hard to say, do I want a breathing tube, a feeding tube, dialysis? But what we can do is have conversations around what matters to us. What does a good day look like? What am I willing to tolerate? What, how do I want to be celebrated? And so that document that you filled out, it's a fantastic start. But it's honestly not enough. And you're right. Now you get to sit down and have this conversation with your daughter where you really get to say, okay, my best day looks like, and you get to tell her. And a great example I always use is an example from a Tool Gawande's book, Being Mortal, where he references a woman who's asking her father before he goes into surgery, dad, what matters to you? And he says, all that matters to me is that I get to eat ice cream and watch football. And so forever, treatment decisions, honestly, are made against that. The daughter was able to say that to the doctors when her father couldn't speak for herself, well, if we do this intervention, will he be able to eat ice cream potentially and, and watch football? Because that's then the correct intervention. And if he won't, then we need to do something else. Right. So now you get to have that conversation with your daughter. Yeah, you're almost coming up with these yardsticks that they're going to measure decisions against, right? Would this allow you to do that? Would this allow you to do that? And then, see, now we're going off on a tangent, which I always do. And it's fine. Like the best the best episodes go off on crazy, you know, squirrel holes. But so interesting, though, that you said the first step is to write the documents. But I actually wonder, now that we're talking, if maybe that's the last step. Maybe the first step is actually the discovery, the conversation getting clear. And then you write it all down or, or, or do you really think it's best to write it down first and then go back and clarify what all those things mean? So two things. One, this tangent is beautiful because this is what it's actually all about. And I think this is where people can get the most value. And two, I may have misspoken. I was glad to hear that you had written something down, but you are a hundred percent correct. The first step is the conversation. And actually the document is there to document a conversation. And unfortunately, that is what doesn't happen. You sit and you have a conversation and you talk about these issues and you make sure that everyone feels clear and then it's documented. Unfortunately, what I see happen a lot of times is what happened in your case. People are really well-intentioned and they want to fill out documents and prepare their loved ones and feel prepared. So they sign the document, they put it in the safe and they think they're done. But to your point, step one is the conversation. And it's a conversation that you revisit. Ideally, when something big changes, maybe you're married, you're divorced, you have children, maybe your healthcare proxy is no longer capable of speaking for you. Now you need to readdress who the right person is. And also just as we age, what we want, what matters looks different, right? Yeah. My best day today looks different than what it will be in 10 years from now. Yeah. And my own life experience is going to change, you know, what matters to me too, or like, you know, 
10 years ago, that child, that daughter that's now an adult capable of helping me with decisions was not able to do that when she was 14, right? And then, you know, I recently had the experience of a very young, healthy friend getting COVID and being on a ventilator. Well, that that's a different lens now that I'm looking through and, and, you know, he's off the ventilator and he's recovering, but like his family had to make decisions in the absence of information. And so that's also shedding a light on, on what I want to do as we get older or in our lives change and our perspective changes, some of the things shift around. Yeah. And, and we don't want our families to make decisions in the absence of information. I think you put that so nicely. We want them to to have the information. And I honestly believe and know based on my experience that a lot of what's on these documents, these check boxes, is actually not providing the right information, right? I don't know if you felt this when you fill up, filled out some of your own comments around what you would want to happen, but a lot of times it's like reading a menu in a foreign language that you don't understand because can you really possibly understand a breathing tube and a feeding tube and dialysis and what all of that means? I'd say for most people, you can't, but you really can express, hey, what matters most to me? A client recently said to me, what matters most to me is coming to the dinner table and telling jokes with my family. Well, that's actually really a great lens to make decisions from. Yeah. And it's so fast too. Like I remember being like a 20 minute call with a paralegal I didn't even know I was going to get these questions. Okay, what do you do with this? And what do you want to do with this? And then if not B, what C? And I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I got to decide this right now, like right now. And they're like, well, like by the end of the day, it would be great. But there was this sense of urgency and pressure to just like make a decision, make a decision without actually having the time to sit down and think about the actual consequences of these things and what do they mean? And like you say, what is breathing tube versus stomach tube versus, you know, all these different, maybe I can speak, but but I've got dementia, or maybe I can't speak, but I'm lucid and I understand. There's so many levels and layers to this stuff that until you really dig into it and hear people's stories and experiences, it doesn't occur to you that all those options might actually exist or be on the table at some point. True. And and we also, we don't know what's going to happen to us, right? We have no idea how it's going to play out. Maybe you mentioned this before, Maybe you need a short course of critical care, meaning maybe you need to be in the ICU briefly and, and maybe you do need all those interventions. But if you checked off on, on a piece of paper that you only had 20 minutes, oh no, I'd never want a breathing tube, then that becomes really confusing to your family members. But if you've had someone be able to help you facilitate this conversation where you say, actually, my real goal is that I be able to get back to being able to sit down on the floor and play with my grandchildren. Then maybe some of these interventions are appropriate because we don't know what the situation is going to be. And there's been a lot of conversation around advanced care planning right now and how actually the studies are showing it's not helpful. And a lot of times we're saying it's not helpful because these check boxes are what are not helpful. But we are coming back as a medical community and saying what is beneficial is the conversations where we sit down and we tell each other what matters to me. And also those conversations, a a really nice side effect is I think they bring people back into this awareness of, oh, what does matter to me? And am I living that now? Does it matter most to me to be getting on the floor and playing with my grandchildren? Oh, I haven't done that in a while. Let me get them on the phone and, and let's make a play date. Right. So it like brings you to this joy today as well. 
Yeah. And out of that black and white thinking, I like the way you phrase that. Yeah. I'd totally be cool with a breathing tube and a stomach tube. If it was only for a month, if at the end of that month, I was going to go home and hang out with my family, but if it was going to persist for 10, 15 years, or it was never going to end, well, that would be a different decision. And if someone's looking at that document and sees, oh, no breathing tube, no, then, you know, like that's a premature decision getting made in the absence of other information, the absence of a conversation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Exactly. So that, yeah. So let's back up for a second to that first question. So we know what you do now. We know sort of why you do it, not why you do it, but yeah, let's talk about like, we know the how a little bit. Let's go back to the why. Like, was there a moment, a time, something that sort of made you go, wow, this is really missing? Or like, what's the story behind the, the coaching, the, the conversations, the consulting? I remember being in my medical training and being called in for an emergency. And it was for a patient who she had a ruptured abdominal aneurysm, which means that the main artery that gives blood to her body had ruptured and it's an emergency. And she was rushed to the hospital and we were preparing to take her back to the operating room. However, what I found to be extremely interesting in this moment was that this woman knew she had an aneurysm and she knew it could rupture one day. And she had made the decision to actually not have it repaired electively because she knew she was someone that would never accept blood products. That was just not in line with her wishes and how she wanted to live in this world. And so she knew this is ultimately what would happen. And it did happen. And she was rushed to the hospital and she could not at this point speak for herself. And her healthcare proxy was called. And her healthcare proxy said, do everything. So now this woman who had said she didn't want blood products or this procedure was now rushed to the operating room where she had the procedure she said she didn't want to have. She received all the blood products and she did actually ultimately die after being in the operating room. And I'll never forget feeling like what happened there was a breakdown in communication between this patient and her healthcare proxy. I'll never know what happened there and and what their communication had been like, but clearly it hadn't been clear enough to this healthcare proxy that this woman would not have wanted this procedure. And I recognize that we need to be having conversations with our loved ones in times of health where we sit down, where it's not pressure-filled, where we don't have to make decisions in five minutes, and we can really express to the people who are going to be responsible for making decisions for us what matters. What are we willing to tolerate, right? In this case, this woman was not willing to tolerate blood products. And somehow there was a breakdown in that communication. And I recognize that there's a space and time that we can create to have these conversations today when we're healthy upstream of something happening where critical decisions need to be made. Interesting. And so so that's it. I'm not going to say the negative, but that's kind of what you don't want to see happen. That's someone's wishes not being honored. How often do you see the opposite? Like how often do you see the you know, where, where the proxy understands they've had a conversation and that they're really clear about what their loved one wanted to happen. How often do you see that side of the coin? I'm really grateful you asked that because I actually also in my training saw that. I'll tell you, I've seen it once, (laughs) but it was really once, but it was profound and it stuck out. And in that case, this was a patient who had woken up in the middle of the night and had unfortunately had a fall 
and had a, a bleed in her brain. And it was determined that even if we did a procedure, it wasn't clear how helpful it would be and get this woman back to where she was. And her family was incredible. This woman had written a huge document. It was her, in her own words of how important it was to her to live in a certain manner. And she'd also talked about it with her family members. Like they knew, oh no, mom wants her full cognition. She wants to be up and mobile. And that's how she defines a good quality of life. And so when it became clear that doing the surgical intervention would likely not lead to that, it was obvious for the family that it was probably her time that she was going to die and that doing this procedure that wasn't going to have the outcome she wanted wasn't really an option. And so they chose comfort measures for, for her mother, which meant their mother, which meant they went to a floor on the hospital that was dedicated to helping patients kind of right at the end of their lives. And I saw the family surround their mother be with her, get to say their goodbyes. They grieved. Of course, they were grieving and it was terribly sad, but it wasn't this burdensome grief. No one was questioning the decisions they had made for their mother because they had all had conversations. And this woman had ensured that her family members knew exactly what she wanted. She had talked it, she had said it to them, and she'd also written it down. And so that also really stuck in my head as like, this is a beautiful way to, to die when it's on your terms, because we're all going to die. And also, it's a beautiful way to gift your family members what I like to call clean grief, right? Where they're able to grieve and feel the emotions of loss and not question whether they did something right or wrong. Yeah, you took the words right out of my mouth. I was going to say what a gift that is, right? To give someone to, and to be able to make decisions, not from a place of fear or a place of what if I make a mistake? What if it's a wrong decision? But to make it from real confidence that you're doing the right thing at the right time. And, and I like that term, clean grief, right? It's not all muddied up with guilt and fear and all these other things. You can just actually grieve. Mm-hmm. Yeah, beautiful. And so it sounds like that is the exception. You said you've seen that once. And I assume many years of practice. In about 10 years. Yeah. Most of the time, what I'm unfortunately seeing is that family members are in this place of either A, they didn't even know they were the person that was going to need to advocate for their loved one. What? It's me? It's not, it's not so-and-so. I've never had a conversation. I hear a lot of, oh my gosh, I wish I would have asked them yesterday what they wanted before they had the stroke and can't speak for yeah. themselves. It's it's interesting because one of my other occupations is in veterinary medicine. And, you know, obviously animals can't speak for themselves. Owners every day have to make decisions about continuing care, euthanasia, whatever. And, you know, the, the easy part and the hard part, I mean, it's always hard because it's a loved one still. What I think makes it easier is, is for owners is often they can go straight to what's the quality of life going to be? Like, is my dog going to be able to fetch a ball? Is it going to be in pain? It's a much clearer, not for everyone. It's not a clear process. There's some people that will just, you know, I don't care if my dog's in a coma. Like I just want to keep them alive. But for the most part, it's a clear process because it's, it's literally just, are they going to be happy? Are they going to be comfortable? You know, are they going to enjoy their life? And as soon as they're not, well, well now we're talking about a different, a different thing. And sometimes it's budget concerns and that's a whole nother, like that's a different conversation, but but yeah, it's, you know, with, with pets, it's, it's often very much goes straight to quality of life, which is interesting. Yeah. 
It is interesting. And I think it's important to pause and say, going to quality of life is also important for us. And that's the conversation that I'm having. And I think that that's what's different than what you find on those documents. We are really saying, what does quality look like to you? And for some people, that does mean every single intervention up until the last moment, I don't care if machines keep me alive. And that's okay as long as that you have expressed that. And for other people, it's, I don't want any of these interventions. And for some people, it's somewhere in the middle of just saying, I'm not sure, but I know that what matters most to me is that I'm coming to the table and telling jokes. But we only know this when we sit down and say, what does quality mean to you? Yeah. And so where do you start those conversations? Like, obviously you start those conversations with quality. Like, But do you have specific questions that you begin with, like things that you want people to consider? Do you... And then once you figure that out, do you kind of dive with detail into what like a stomach tube might look like or what, you know, no brain activity versus brain activity means or how, how deep do you dive, I guess, is the question or is that up to the client or? Well, the real goal for me is not having clients to, to answer, do I want the feeding tube or not? The real goal is for them to get super clear on what matters to them. And so typically we start by saying, tell me what your best day looks like. And it's, tell me more about that. Who are you with? What are you doing? What matters about this? And it's going in and typically I'm hearing it's, I'm, I'm engaging with a family member in some way, right? And so I can pick out from that, okay, so your cognition is really important to you, your ability to engage and know what's going on. For some people, it's, I'm out moving in nature. Okay, mobility is really important to you. Right. And so it's getting clear on those kind of bigger topics. And then we start talking about what are you not willing to tolerate? Right. And for some people, we can get clear on I'm not willing to tolerate living in a facility being hooked up to tubes forever and ever. Right. And that's helpful. That can help a family make decisions. So we're not going nitty gritty in terms of what specific intervention. We're looking a little broader. Yeah, you're doing that big picture zoom in to what's important to you. And that's mm-hmm. a good point, you know, because mm-hmm. for some people that ability to move their body is is everything. For other people, I, I imagine they'd be like, I'd be totally cool in a wheelchair as long as I can talk to people, you know. So it sounds like you're you're just kind of pulling on these little threads and then trying to from there, you know, diverge into okay, clearly your physical mobility is important, your mental capacity is important. And maybe some people have a higher pain tolerance than others too, right? Like what's your pain threshold or, or, you know, or things like that. A hundred percent, right? That is very true, right? Some people say, I am not willing to tolerate any pain in any way, shape or form. And some people are going to say a little bit of pain is okay for me as long as I can still be outside or even sitting outside is going to be good enough for me. And in this conversation, I'm also always checking in with the healthcare proxy who is there with us. And we're also on videotape so that this conversation can be reviewed. And I'm always checking in with the healthcare proxies and saying, okay, did you, did you hear what your loved one just said? What's most important to him is that he's out in nature or what's most important is that he's down on the floor playing with his grandkids. He wants to engage. His mind is important to him. He's willing to tolerate a little bit of pain to have his mind clear, right? Those are the things that they're going to be able to then say to a physician in the future, okay, well, dad said to me that what's most important is that he's got his cognition, he's playing with all of us, he's engaging. Is this intervention going to allow that? 
right? What we're doing is really giving you a filter to then turn around to the physicians and say, okay, you're offering all these treatments, but I'm looking at the outcome. What matters to me is the outcome. And that's what matters to my dad. What's going to get us to this outcome? Yeah, it just kind of triggered my memory of when my my grandmother was passing away. And I remember my mom talking about some of the pain medications they would give her. They figured out were triggering like hallucinations. So then it became a conversation. You know, do, do you want to manage the pain or do you want her to have clarity of mind? And and is there and and then another conversation, is there a different drug we can use to manage the pain? Like, like each one kind of leads to another decision. It seems like each decision kind of then leads to a new decision. But if you know what someone wants, then you can navigate those those little, you know intersections that you would call them or or decisions as they come up, right? Correct. Exactly. You were able to then each decision, because you're right, one decision leads to a next, you still come back and say, all right, so with this decision, what's the outcome? What's our goal? And are we going to be able to get to that goal? And something I also like to remind people about is that, again, death is always an option. We're not hoping that it happens tomorrow. I, I hope to have a very long life, but I'm also really aware that it could. And that if the quality of my life is not there, death is an option. And I've expressed that to my husband, who is my healthcare proxy. And I think going back and always saying, okay, if we can't get I keep coming back to the same example right now. I just spoke to someone who told me this, but if we can't get dad to get back on the floor and playing with the grandkids, then all of these interventions don't matter because that's his quality of life. And then we have to start saying, okay, is this his time and is he dying? Right. And, And being really okay and open to those conversations. Yeah. And again, having that marker there, right? Like this is, this is the goal. This is what we want to get to. If we can't get to that, then, then we start. Yeah, that changes decisions. Um, so a lot of women, a lot of listeners, at least on this show, have, have aging parents, right? So we're talking about making these decisions for ourselves, but what about those people that, you know, they know their parents are aging, they know they're changing, but they don't want to have the conversations. Like, you know what? Like, I'm not talking about dying because it's not going to happen to me. Or, you know, like there's those people that won't get life insurance because like, it's just too scary for them. Is there a way to kind of ease into those conversations or to, you know, encourage someone that, that just doesn't want to have that conversation to, to maybe be more open to it is other ways to start those, those things. It's heavy, yeah. right? It can be really heavy. I'm just taking a pause to, to think about it because I do think it can be heavy. And I think especially when it's between family members, it can feel heavy. What I've come to realize is that I think under the fear, people actually do want to have the conversation they don't know how to start. And so some tips and tricks that I have helped people with is kind of almost what you said. You watched your grandmother as she was going through this and and you can kind of say, hey, I remember when grandma was going through this and I, I saw that she actually died in the way that she wanted to. And I've really been thinking about that. And I wonder if you've thought about how you want to die and what that looks like. And sometimes you will find that your loved one is willing and open to having that conversation. And sometimes they aren't. I also think bringing in a facilitator to say, Hey, I want someone to help us have this conversation. I don't want it to feel pressure filled. It's like being bringing in a third person. So you get to show up and do nothing. You just got to show up and listen. And it's 
really saying, let's bring in this facilitator to help us have a meaningful conversation. It's quite loving and see if they're open to that. Yeah. And so, so speaking of that, so, you know, you being the facilitator, well, I mean, there's other ones out there, but you know what I mean? That being sort of what you do, how do you do that? Is it one-on-one? Do you do it online? Do you have workshops? Like what, how much does your, how much does your, your sort of company, your job encompass? What, how do you, what are the different ways that you can do that with people? Sure. So I work one-on-one with clients and then I also do speaking and webinars because I think it's so important to get the message out. And I mainly work with people virtually. COVID has really opened up this incredible virtual world where we all can speak with one another. And what I do is I work individually with the client first and we go through all the questions and get really clear about what our wishes are. And then in the second session, we bring in your loved one or your loved ones. And we go through the answers to all those questions. And we allow your loved one to get really clear about what your wishes are. And we have a videotape of that session. And then I also provide you with a document, just of the quick, like most important salient points from what we talked about. Again, is it grandma wants ice cream and watching football? That's right there, right? You don't have to think about it. So that's how I work one-on-one with clients and then yes, speaking and, and webinars. Yeah. And then just before we wrap up, do you have anything coming up? How do people find you? Is there anything you want to let us know? This is sort of your chance to tell us what you've got happening. Yeah. Well, my goal is that people listen to this and say, oh, this has been at the bottom of my to-do list for a really long time. And this is a good reminder to not wait until it's too late. And so on my website, lucidadvocate.com, there is a conversation guide. So I'd love everyone to come there, get that conversation guide. It allows you to now have this conversation with your loved ones without worrying about how do I start? The questions are all right there. And if you're finding it hard or you're finding your loved ones not so willing to have this conversation and you think you might need a facilitator, someone to help, definitely reach out to me through my website. And I'd love to talk to anyone about how I can help them. Yeah, wonderful. And that is, you know, one of the silver linings of the pandemic is there's so many, it just expands that global, your, you know, your ability to reach out to people and, and to help them in a different way. And there's, and, you know, we get to connect and, and chat virtually in different, different countries. So that's amazing. Thank you so much for coming today. Thanks for the conversation. Any last thing you want to add before we before we sign off or I miss anything? No, no. Thank you for having me. And I just encourage everyone to go start this conversation tonight. Yeah, wonderful. It's a delight. All that information is also going to be in the show links, the link to your website, a little recap of what we talked about. And yeah, I would encourage you all to go go check that out and you know, go home and have a have a conversation with your loved ones. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. It's Monica here with a postscript for this episode. This episode was recorded in April. And what I didn't know is that in June, when I would step off the plane, I would find out that my dad was at the hospital. And we would have to have a lot of the conversations and make a lot of the decisions that we talk about in this episode. And I can tell you that A, having had this conversation already was helpful for me. And that B, we hadn't had deep enough conversations. And it was a situation where as he got progressively worse, we had to have more and more conversations. And we had to have those conversations when he was in the hospital 
uh, when he was feeling unwell and that they evolved as his situation evolved. And I was really incredibly, incredibly grateful that I knew a couple of things. One is that he didn't want to be in pain. So when he could no longer speak, I could advocate and say, you know what, the pain medications are actually more important than maybe the fact that the pain medication might make his kidneys values worse, something like that. And then I was so, so lucky that I was there in the moment when he got to make the decision. You know, he had his oxygen on and I, and he kept pulling it off and I kept trying to put it back on. And finally he said, he said, Monica, just let me go. Please let me go. And up until that point, he'd wanted medical care still, but he got to make the decision about when he didn't want medical care any longer. And So it just really hit home for me after that, how important this episode is, how important it is to know that because you're not always going to be sitting with your loved one in the moment when they make that decision. So if you haven't had a conversation with your loved ones yet about, you know, what's most important to them, at what point they would want to discontinue care, even things as simple as a difference in life support between being intubated and having like a life support mask and things like that. And what's more important, pain control or longevity, all those things. Because what's important to one person may not be important to another. And sadly, my dad, my dad did pass away. But, you know, I'm just really grateful that I was able to have some of those conversations while he was lucid. And he was able to relay his wishes to me literally about six hours before he could actually no longer speak. So yeah, this this episode really hit home for me. I hope it's valuable to you. And I hope when the time comes that you have either had these conversations with your loved one or that you're able to have them. And that's a wrap. Thanks for joining us on the show. Just wanted to let you all know that I have a book out this year. It's called Overcoming Awkward, The Introvert's Guide to Networking, Marketing, and Sales. You can find it on Amazon, paperback, Kindle, and on Audible as an audiobook version. See you all soon. Have a great week, Douglas.